0: Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future.
1: Hi, I'm Molly McDonough, editor and publisher of the ABA Journal. This week I'm catching up with ABA Journal Legal Rebels, who made their way to the ABA's tech show in Chicago. In today's chat, I'm visiting with Chantelle Argyle and Daniel Spencer, who were profiled as Legal Rebels in 2015. Chantel and Dan started Open Legal Services in 2013, a not-for-profit law firm based in Salt Lake City. The two had an intended a firm fresh out of law school, but the job market at the time was pretty dismal, so the two gave it a go and decided to launch their firm as a not-for-profit. Welcome to the show, Chantel Argyle and Daniel Spencer. Thanks for having us.
2: Thanks, good to be here in Chicago.
1: Glad you made it. I heard you had a tough time getting here.
2: Uh, it was a comedy of errors, but, uh, but I did make it in one piece. So it's, it's
1: I'm, gl- I'm glad you made it.
2: Better late than never.
1: Uh, so when you started your firm, was it just you two? It seems like you've grown quite a bit.
3: Yeah, we actually started, just the two of us. And within about four or five months, we realized that we couldn't keep answering our own phones. So we got somebody to help us with that. Uh, and then almost right away after that, we needed a part-time attorney to come on who became a full-time attorney. And from there, it's just grown and grown. We now have four associates that work for us, okay. um, along with the two of us and a couple of staff, and we're just opening a second location. So we're gonna need some staff for that as well. Uh, where's your second location it's going? It's in Ogden, right? Utah.
2: Yeah, our, uh, our, our long-term plan is we wanna be able to cover as much of uh, the Wasatch Front in, in Utah, it's the area of greater uh, Salt Lake City uh, area, as possible, and uh, you know, by opening a branch up in, in Ogden, we're able to uh, increase by about 60% how much of uh, the state that we're covering. So it's uh, we're actually uh, we're doing a lot of good for a lot more people that way, and we can we can pretty much cover the entire northern half of the state. So
1: can you tell me whether your model has changed or evolved since you launched your firm?
3: Pretty much on a daily basis. Okay. Uh, one of the things we do is we like to follow a design mentality. We create something, we try it out, we test it. And then we make adjustments as necessary. So uh, we like to say we're building the airplane while we're in the air, which is very difficult. Uh, It's very challenging. It definitely keeps things interesting, but it allows us to be on the cutting edge pretty much perpetually. And as we've been training other people to form their own nonprofits all over the country to match ours, it's been great to see that, you know, this is an experiment. We can't, you know, pick a model and stick with that for 50 years. That way has sort of died out. Right. I I was going to ask you about that too, about, I, I see you on the speaking circuit and,
1: um, wondered kind of what the reaction has been from other lawyers. Uh, I know that some I've spoken to or when I've seen you speak, sometimes people are just completely perplexed by the model. Maybe if you could talk a little bit about kind of how you operate and then the reaction of lawyers that that you've come across as you've tried to explain it to them.
2: Well, what's interesting is just that this kind of model is so unheard of in in law practice. It's it's common elsewhere. This is not something that, that is unique. It's not an original idea in general, it's just that in the practice of law, it's, it's something that's a little bit different. Um, lawyers are creatures of precedent, right? And so, and if it hasn't been done before, we tend not to try and do it. And so, uh, we've got a, a model that basically is—it uh, exists elsewhere. It exists in the medical field. It exists in, in education. It exists in, um, in in finance. It just hasn't really been brought in a large scale to the legal uh, market to date. So that's that's kind of what we've done. Is is just implement that kind of model in a a legal context.
3: Yeah, and also what we're discovering, I'd say every three to six months or so, I learn about a nonprofit firm that existed before us. So there are, I think I can probably come up with a list of at least six that existed before we did. We just hit the market at the right time and we're much more vocal than a lot of our counterparts. And so, um, I mean, for example, there is one that formed in the 80s when the IRS permitted legal aid organizations to begin charging for services, and they're still operational, but nobody knows their name or where they are. And even if you ask me right now, I wouldn't remember what it is off the top of my head. And part of that is that as attorneys, we're so siloed, right? We work in our little bubble. And unless you do go out on the speaking circuit or attend innovation conferences or tech conferences, you're kind of cut off from what other people are doing and a lot of the states really don't talk to one another other than kind of at the high level. The only reason that I've been invited to speak at ABA events is because somebody from my state who was a former bar president who was part of the ABA, you know, as a delegate and some of these other things, went to a, the Western States Conference and talked about us in Hawaii one day and all of a sudden I was getting calls from the Western States, all the bar presidents asking me to present about our model. And come to find out there are people doing it in their state or wanting to do it in their state already. They just hadn't really gotten, there wasn't a centralized place to go. We're about to change that. We've actually coordinated with the ABA and we will now have a, an offering through the new portal that they're developing to Basically allow people, yeah, they're going to create, a, what they have for the incubators, they're going to create for us, for the nonprofits. So people will be able to see resources and communicate with one another in a centralized location. So we don't have to be siloed anymore. We can kind of spread the movement and basically keep people from reinventing the wheel.
2: And there's, there's, and there's a listserv now um, of, of other firms like us or aspiring firms. Uh, that want to follow a similar type of model, but what's striking about it is that the model is a little bit different, going back to your earlier question, um, it, it, it's a little bit different for everybody. It varies by locality, it varies by practice area, rules. immensely by practice area, by local rules, whether they can even do this kind of model. Um, you know, there There's some very outdated, surprisingly outdated ethical rules that uh, that actually are in place in many jurisdictions that can make it a challenge to do what we're doing. So
1: is there pushback because of the rules? Do you, do you get pushback from lawyers who oh, yeah. say, well, that's kind of an interesting idea, but there's no way I can make that happen. Yeah, and, and what do you say to them?
3: Yeah, it's really funny. So I've done consultations and I actually went and presented at the Incubator Nonprofit Law Firm Conference, right? It's an access to justice conference. And they added, the nonprofit part to the title because of us, right? Because it's become a movement. And when I was there, I was presenting and there was a lawyer there from California who's a faculty member, um, you know, had tried to form a nonprofit in California five years ago and was not allowed to do it right by the state. And the rules even there have evolved such since that time that they've been able to start doing it. I consulted with a group in Florida that wanted to form one and were told no by their state bar. And then Florida invited me in September down to speak to them about rule changes they will need to do to facilitate nonprofits being able to form and incubator programs to form down there. So it's, it's amazing because the need is there, but the solution hasn't always been something that, you know, was something on the minds of the bar leadership or the ethics committee leadership. They need to make these changes in order for it to be facilitated. And until that really happens, a lot of people are skeptical. But most of us are very entrepreneurial and innovative, and we're willing to push back on the rules to try and get those changes made. And, and
1: so do you advise people that don't give up? start, and Do you have a kind of a roadmap for, you know, no, actually don't let them just tell you no, this is, this is the way to make it happen?
3: Absolutely. And, and a lot of the rules that they're trying to get around, for example, the UPL rule. So you can't have non-lawyer, serving on your board. Everybody needs to be a lawyer because we can't be, you know, incorporated with non-lawyers. Uh, ways to get around that on a temporary basis. Just have lawyers be on your board and then work on the rule changes and then you can start adding non-lawyers once the rule is changed. So there are ways to get around these issues uh, if they do it properly and if they follow the rules, but also start taking meetings with their bar leadership. Uh, For example, a lot of bar foundations won't allow you to receive grant money if you charge for services. The, The Florida Bar Foundation told me that they were contemplating changing that rule to encourage people to form incubators. So it's definitely something that you shouldn't just accept whatever answer you get and also be a disruptive innovator. That's what we did. And you know the pushback at first was not, not super, I wouldn't say negative, but very neutral, sort of like, good luck with that and patting us on the head. And now we're on those committees that are contemplating what the access to justice solutions should be. And they've embraced us and they brag about us as if they had a part in it. And we're okay with that because it helps the state, you know, develop some notoriety within the other states.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, this, this kind of work is important because if you don't innovate, then you die and you wither on the vine. And that's something that, you know, has certainly been a risk in the legal industry is that, you know, you either go solo Right or or you have you know the, the big corporate law that 's growing ever larger, but there's you know, the in between area is is where there's this issue that where you have um, a, a huge need you know for uh, from individuals who really the shrinking middle class can't afford and to pay the high rates for for traditional attorneys, so there's definitely a need there. Um, but at the same time, the other piece of what we do, and that's part of the, uh, the evangelizing, I suppose, about the, uh, about the model, is there are a lot of attorneys that don't have work, that can't figure out how to, how to make their way, how to, how to you know, be successful. And connecting those attorneys with uh, the clients that, that need the help, that's a huge part of the mission as well. It's about training attorneys.
1: So how is law practice for you? Are you actually, do you have time? Not a lot. So has your role changed and what you expected to be doing with this firm?
3: Yeah, it's amazing. I really... Uh, was surprised the more people we bring on the easier it is to do my job and the harder it is to do my job but in different ways so uh, being big enough I can go to a tech show for example I can be here for a few days and I know that the building will still be standing when I get back when Dan and I it was just the two of us I couldn't take a sick day right because I was it I was all there was and so it's gotten easier in the sense that we've gotten bigger but at the same time the more attorneys you have that you're training the less time you have to work on your own cases so our billable requirements you know, used to be the same as everybody else. And now I'm down to like a 12-hour-a-week requirement. And I think Dan's is like 15. Yeah. So, uh, And we rarely hit that. I mean, we're too busy doing other things. So we've managed to kind of create a scalable model that we can bring on associates. And they kind of do the heavy lifting as far as billing those hours to keep us in business. Uh, but we're able to do outreach and a lot of other trainings and things like that that kind of help grow the practice in other ways that are maybe less tangible.
2: Well, and you asked earlier about uh, the ways the models change. That's one important way that it has changed, is that we've gone, in the course of three years, to being just a couple of attorneys in the in the, in, you know, the extra office behind a, a, a public defender you know, uh, office in West Valley City, to you now we've got our own uh, our own suite, you know, in a in a building that's above ground. We actually have natural light. It's, it's yeah, lovely. We're not
3: in the basement anymore <laughs> next yeah. to the curry restaurant.
2: It's great. My office doesn't smell like uh, Dale curry anymore in the morning. It's it's really <laughs> fantastic. Um, and so so we're we're experiencing new growing pains along with that, and and uh, expanding the model in the sense of. We figured some stuff out early on about how to actually reach out to clients and be able to serve them. What we haven't figured out, what we're still figuring out, is so how do you do that when you're responsible for two brand new attorneys, two you know attorneys with maybe six months' experience, and commit every, uh, prevent everyone from committing malpractice, right? Um, that's a challenge. Making sure the client management stuff is there is a challenge, and it's it's a very different kind of uh, um, experience, I think, than uh, than what you so, have in a lot of. So,
1: besides kind of sharing what you're what uh, you're learning at Tech Show, are you then now um, it, um, taking advantage of the of some of the other things you can learn from yeah. Tech Show? Oh, Since it's amazing!
3: Here? You show up and you're a subject matter expert about your little thing. But then I was literally sitting in my presentation just barely before I came over here and my co-presenter said something that just blew my mind. It was like an idea I had never thought of before. And so you do get, when you put a bunch of smart people in a room together, the innovation that can happen just in organic conversation is amazing. And so, yeah, we go home and we report back things that we've learned and we, we, we come back refreshed with all these great ideas of how to continue to improve the model.
2: Yeah. And specifically, and the idea you're referring to, these are the kinds of things that we haven't really figured out yet. Um, When we're dealing with the number of attorneys that we are, especially when uh, managing everyone's schedules is a nightmare. So getting everyone together, it's not a matter of just pull our one associate into into the office and basically have a chat and explain how to use this process or that process. Now it's a matter of producing actual training materials and making them available, in, you know, for, for general consumption, and, and handing out these manuals so that they're available to the next associates that we hire on, and having that kind of uh, that continuity, that's something that we've not had to deal with before now, and now it's something we're having to do, uh, because there are, you know, we we, we have attorneys uh, that are always uh, being hired away for, you know, you know, bigger things. If I, I dispute whether they're bigger and better things, but uh, but certainly people uh, you know graduate away. The paychecks are bigger. <laughs> But people are graduating out, and, uh, and, and we're bringing new people all the time. And so it's, uh, it's a process.
1: Well, thank you. I, um, I'm so glad you could join us today. Um, I'm Molly McDonough, and you've been listening to a special tech show edition of the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels podcast. have one last question. Um, if our listeners want to follow up on what they've heard today, how can they reach out to you?
3: So I'm on Twitter, and it's at Chantelle8. Um, you can also email me, Chantel, at openlegalservices.org, or just go to our website, openlegalservices.org, and send in an email submission.
2: Yeah, and, and I would say uh, email Shan. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm busy advising all the attorneys on how to practice so I generally am not super responsive on emails but but I'll get it to
3: him
1: well I want to thank Chantal and Dan for joining us today and our listeners for tuning in if you like what you've heard please subscribe and rate us on iTunes we look forward to you joining us for another episode of ABA Journal's Legal Rebels podcast
0: if you'd like more information about today's show Please visit legalrebels.com, legaltalknetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network.